What's up, murder lovers? My name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina. And this is Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. As usual, we would love ratings and reviews. Please make sure that you subscribe whatever platform you're on. But if you're on iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, go ahead and uh, scroll down. Hit that review and ratings thing. Five stars is always appreciated. And then write us a review. We would love you so much for it. Thank you. Fatina. Yes. Tell me what you got for me this week. I've got a tale of puppies and rainbows and butterflies. Boo. (laughs) Change the channel. (laughs) If I wanted Disney Plus, I'd go sit out with Kara. (laughs) It's literally what she's doing. I know. I'm sure she is. Oh, so today I am going to talk about the case of William George Bonin, a.k.a. Bill, that's how I'll be referring to him as, a.k.a. the freeway killer. Hmm. You might be a little confused on this because there's a couple different serial killers that have been dubbed that. Yes. This one in particular, though, his M.O. was or his uh, intended targets or his preferred targets and victims were all male. Yeah, there's several different serial killers that are dubbed that. And they all have very distinct M.O.s, though, but that's not figured out till later. So this one, William Bonin's, is a very particular particular M.O., and his targets are a very specific range or type. Mm -hmm. So I'll explain that a little bit further. But as always, I want to... I'll start from birth to death. So I'll start at the birth... Oh, so he's he's dead. He's dead. Nice. Yeah, this okay. one's this one's got a, <laughs> a fairy tale ending. Such a new, <laughs> interesting place to be in, where you're like, yeah, he's dead. Well, he absolutely <laughs> deserved it, and let me tell you why. All right. So I'll start at the beginning. William George Bonin. From here on out, I will be calling him Bill. This is what all his friends, acquaintances knew him as. So Bill was born on January 8th, 1947 in Willimantic, Connecticut. He was the middle child of three boys. He was born to Alice and Robert Bonin. His father, Robert, was a gambling addict as well as an alcoholic. Ah. And at one point, he gambled away the family home. There are reports that the father was physically abusive towards the children as well as his mom, Alice. So his mother, Alice, was also an alcoholic, and she was also abusive to the children, both mentally and physically. While Alice and Robert would go on benders, they would leave all three boys with Alice's father, sometimes for days at a time. Alice was either repressing the memory or was conveniently forgetting what a piece of shit her father was because he had also molested Alice when she was young and was a convicted child molester. The Bonin brothers were not exempt from the grandfather's disgusting ways. All three boys were sexually abused by their own grandfather. Ew. Right. The fact that this mother... I don't even understand how she continued to leave the kids there knowing he was a convicted child molester. I don't understand it. In 1953, Bill was six years old 
Their mother decided that the boys had suffered enough from their own grandfather and father and placed all three boys in an orphanage. Bill didn't share too many details about the time at the orphanage, but what is known is that all the kids at the orphanage were severely punished regardless of the offense, and some of the punishments included severe beatings and partial drownings in sinks. Whoa. Yeah. Like, they waterboarded them type uh-huh. thing. Right. So these people or these kids are there because they're already having a tough life, I'm sure. Well, they're orphans. Right. Yeah. Except well, for these kids. These kids yeah. were okay. voluntarily placed there. Although Bill never discussed too many details about his time in the orphanage, he eventually did say that he was constantly abused by older kids. He would also consent to their sexual advances on one condition. He would ask his abusers to tie his hands behind his back before they began the abuse. That is dark. How old is he at this point? He entered the orphanage at the age of six, and he was there for a total of three years. Yikes. So this is also, in hindsight, where he learned how to tie and bind someone. And so after being there for a total of three years, the wonderful mother, Alice, took the kids out of the orphanage and took them to live in Mansfield with her and Robert once again. Oh, so she decided she was ready to be a mom again? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Shortly after that, at the age of 10 years old, Bill was arrested for stealing license plates off of cars He was in and out of the juvenile detention center for petty thefts. During his stints in juvie, he was always sexually assaulted by other inmates, and it's reported that he was also being assaulted by one of the counselors there. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. What the heck? This, I... He didn't stand a chance. That's... Yes, he did not. There are no records if there was ever any charges brought on to that counselor, either for Bill's abuse or abuse of any other young men. By the time he was 14 years old, Bill's parents' house was in danger of getting foreclosed again, and the parents, Robert and Alice, decided to move the family to California. Apparently this is a thing where, don't move your family to California or Oregon, for that matter. Basically the West Coast. (laughs) Just steer clear. So, from the time that they moved to California... It wasn't long after Bill's dad, Robert, passed away from cirrhosis of the liver. And it's obvious that Bill had a fucked up upbringing and his understanding of sex and personal relationships was... A little little damaged. (laughs) Absolutely. Maybe he doesn't have the healthiest perception. (laughs) No, none. That's shocking. (sighs) So... How could you? There is so much on his background and it all matters. Yeah. In this case. And it's and it's tragic because it happened from such a young age. Right. Because if they moved into the orphanage by the age of six, that means that abuse was taking pre place when six he years was... old. Right. That's He's disgusting. a baby. Yeah. By at least two men by that point. His father and his, his grandfather. grandfather. Gross. So While they're in the California home, it's now the four of them, the three boys and the mom, it is reported that Bill regularly sexually assaulted his younger brother. 
It is also reported that he regularly lured children, young boys, into his house by promising them weed, beer, and would show them pornographic films. This is a sick family. Mm -hmm. Bill completed high school at the age of 18 in 1965. His mother thought that Bill marrying a girl would stop him from his gay tendencies. So Bill became engaged with a girl to appease his mom. Okay. Soon after, he joined the U.S. Air Force. He then served five months of active duty in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. the Vietnam War, as an aerial gunner. He logged over 700 hours of combat and patrol while he was there. Hmm. (sighs) Sorry. I know what's coming. You don't, but no, you I know very stressed. <laughs> so during his Vietnam tour, Bill stated that he had multiple sexual encounters with both men and women from Vietnam. Bill also later confessed that at least twice he forced two fellow soldiers at gunpoint into sexual assault. Ooh. Your face right now. Oh my gosh. And there was never any charges brought up for this because he's only, we only know this in hindsight. Well, and you're operating under potentially, when did Don't, don't Ask, Don't Tell go into, into effect? Probably. And oh, not till recently. My guess is that the guys that were actually held up at gunpoint, you, they didn't want to There's be such like, a huge oh, stigma yeah. with men mm-hmm. that even in today's day and age, that stuff goes unreported. That's There's so many men disgusting. on men crimes that go unreported based off of shame and all of that kind of stuff. God. Bill received an honorable discharge after his three years of active duty and was discharged in October of 1968. And I'm going to constantly be telling you dates or years because this shit happens fast. Okay. He was also giving, given a medal recognizing him for his gallantry for risking his own life while he was in Vietnam to save a fellow wounded soldier. That's it. Okay. So. Got it. That's the only props I'll give him. The ever. only good thing he ever did with his life. Right. Upon his discharge, Bill returned back home to his mother's house in California. And this is when he did marry this girl whose identity has never been published it's not public knowledge, and I understand why. Yep, I wouldn't fair. want to be associated with him either. And that didn't last long, though. Within a couple of months, they had already gotten a divorce. Surprise, surprise. Yep. Again, just a reminder on the timeline, Bill was discharged from the Air Force in October of 1968. And about a month later, in November, he began his spree. Okay. He kidnapped young kids between the ages of 12 and 18. He would bind them before beginning a sexual assault, which including sodomizing, oral. He also liked to torture his victims, which he did by striking them, as well as squeezing and or binding their testicles in overall general area because it wasn't limited to just the testicles, but also the penis. During this time, he kidnapped and assaulted a total of four victims. He did not kill any of these victims, but obviously he was escalating. This time, it wasn't a youth-on-youth crime. No, because he's a grown-ass adult. Right. Yeah. He was an adult, preying and kidnapping, assaulting and torturing underage boys. And I'm going to go into detail about these crimes. So... In March of 1969... Here's your warning. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. That was the edited version. Now speed up if you... Right. <laughs> Holy cow. Speed up to the socials because it's bad all the way through. <laughs> so in March of 1969, he was caught in the act of trying to tie up a 16-year-old boy he had forced into his now infamous green Ford Econoline van. Those vans. It was at this point that they linked him to the four previous assaulted boys that I just mentioned that all happened in the same town. And Bill was indicted on five counts of kidnapping, four counts of sodomy, and one count of oral copulation. For those of you that don't know what oral copulation is, don't worry. I'm here to define it for you, but cover your ears if you don't like (laughs) details. It's fellatio. It's blowjobs. But he would either force himself on someone or force someone to do it to him. Okay. Ew, he's creepy. Here's the first fucking kicker. Bill did plead guilty to the molestation and oral copulation charges. Bill was not sentenced to serve any jail time for these crimes. Instead, the courts decided that Bill was capable of changing and they shipped him off to the Atascadero State Hospital and was admitted as a mentally disordered sexual offender as of January 1971. Oh, yeah, because at that point, homosexuality was still seen as a mental illness. So that must have been the issue, not the Uh, fact that he was violently attacking people. Yeah. Wow. It blew my mind. How did they get it so wrong? (laughs) During his stay at the mental hospital... They did a lot of testing on him, both mental and physical. These tests revealed a lot of interesting details. His psych eval revealed that he possessed several traits of manic depression. That's the previously used term for bipolar. Mm -hmm. So bipolar in this day and age. He had a lot of scars on his body. I'll bet. But more particularly to his head and butt. It is likely that he got these scars from injuries during his stay in the juvenile detention center and or at the orphanage. But he claims to have no memory about how those injuries happened to him. Interesting. Right. They also found that he had damage to the prefrontal cortex part of his brain. Mm. And let me educate Yes, tell us what the prefrontal cortex controls. Let me tell you, classroom. So, (laughs) Class is in session. This is the part of the brain that helps mammals, a.k.a. humans, differ between good and bad. And in Bill's case, it is possible that it was damaged to the point where he could not control his violent outburst. Okay. They also tested his IQ while he was in there, and he tested with an IQ of 121. Oh, shit. And I think that's exactly what you said Ristler had to, either 120 120. or 121. 120. So So he beats him by one point. Right. (laughs) A little bit smarter. So I had to personally go do a little bit more research on this, and I think our listeners are totally going to appreciate this. And I have to give credit to MurderMileTours.com. This is where they had a whole study, details, stats, I'm going to give you the very quick recap on it. Okay. When it comes to IQs, 
and serial killers or killers in general or deviant people in general, it's really nice to see how that affects profiling. Because when a serial killer is unknown, knowing their method of killing Mm -hmm. can help determine how smart they may be. For example, someone who has a higher IQ is likely to do more technical killings. On one extreme, making a bomb. Okay. On another one, strangulation, because it's it takes some time. Yeah. On the lower end of the spectrum, the lower the IQ, the more messy and the more almost passionate the crime is going to be. It's like a knee-jerk type thing. Because it, they tend to be bludgeoning, shooting. stabbing, shooting. So it's really interesting that based on the type of murder, mm-hmm. let's say they don't know who the serial killer on the loose is. Yeah. They're, this is part of how they start building a profile. Oh. So they start seeing, you know, a bunch of strangled people. Yeah. They're going to know they're looking for a smarter person. Right. Cleaner crime scenes, smarter person. Messy crime scenes, someone just left shot. Likely a... Stupid person. They're all stupid, but stupider person. <laughs> You're more stupider. <laughs> so isn't this fascinating, though? Yeah, it's that's just, really interesting. A, I didn't know. Interesting piece of profiling, and I just thought I'd share that. No, thank you for doing that. That actually is really interesting. Yeah. And I love now it. it also raises more questions for me about the people that mix things up. Like yes. Kemper had multiple types of mm-hmm. ways that he He's unique though in that. But he is unique. Speaking that is true. of Kemper, he was tested twice. He was yes. above average and genius on both, both tests. Both times, but they varied by about twenty something points. Yep. First yeah. time was one thirty six and the second one was one forty five. Yep. Good old bumblebutt. And Jeffrey Dahmer had one forty five. Mm-hmm. And Rodney Alcala, aka the Dating, dating game, game killer, killer episode two 135 yep so just putting it into perspective and seeing it play out and how uh telling these signs yeah. could be is is just fascinating to me yeah now we know yeah now the more you know anywho <laughs> so back to the story okay <laughs> so i digress <laughs> so after spending two years at atascadero state hospital mm-hmm. he apparently received all the treatment he could there, and and he was cured, <laughs> almost. Okay, they saw him as a case that was no longer treatable there, and they actually moved him to a prison because he had continued raping males at the hospital. So they moved him to a state prison. So not cured. Nope. They just did as much as they could. They <laughs> guinea pig the fuck out of him. Like, you're no longer our problem. It, nope. Bye. <laughs> He spent about a year in prison finishing out this punishment that he had for those four youths that he had molested. Yeah. And he was released on June 11th, 1974, after the prison doctors determined that Bill was, quote, no longer a danger to the health and safety of others. Famous last words. Please. That, these fuckers. Um, I, and every, every time. Every freaking time they're like, oh, he's done good. Yeah. Pat, pat on the head. He won't do this again. He's healed. All right. 
So soon after being released from the state hospital, he didn't lay low for long. On September 8th, 1974, he saw a 14-year-old boy hitchhiking in the city of Garden Grove. This 14-year-old boy was David Allen McVicker. Bill offered David a ride. David and dropped ex- him off at home and everything was fine because he's healed. Mom invited him for pie and everything. Right. Because he, <laughs> he's a new man now. So David accepted the ride. He was trying to get to his parents' house. They started driving. And not long after, Bill asked David if he was gay. David was uncomfortable by this question and asked Bill to stop the car and let him out. Instead, Bill drew a gun and drove out to a field where he ordered David to undress at gunpoint. Mm. He proceeded to beat and rape him. After doing that, he started using David's own t-shirt to try and strangle him with it. Oh my gosh. David naturally started yelling and Bill, for one reason or another, stopped trying to strangle him. Oh, got back into the driver's seat yeah, and continued driving David home and dropped him off at his home as if nothing had happened. What the heck? David immediately ran into his house, told his mom about what just happened. His mom called the police in Garden Grove and reported it. Two days after David's assault, he tried to lure another 15-year-old boy into his van by offering him $35 for sex. And when the boy refused his offer, he chased the boy 35 with... 35 bucks? Yeah. Well, this is yeah, 70, so... Okay. Yeah, I know. It's... Uh, he's a piece of shit all around, but yeah. yeah. Um, he chased the boy with his van and tried to run him over. Oh, wow. One day after the assault to this 15-year-old boy, the police caught up with him, and based on David's mother's report... They charged him with both of these crimes. He pleaded guilty to both of these charges on December 31st, 1975, and was sentenced to serve between 1 to 15 years at the San Luis Obispo, California prison. Let me guess. He didn't do 15 years. Nope. Okay. He served almost three years before he was released on an 18-month supervised probation period. Hmm. Just the legal system fails us so much sometimes. It's unbelievable. Especially during this time period. Oh, my gosh. This whole time I'm thinking, hitchhikers, why? If you're going to hitchhike, jump into the back of someone's truck. Yeah. Not into their Ford Econa line van. (laughs) There is room there to do a lot of shit. Yeah. You're clear of vans. Tangent. But at the same time, Ted Bundy did it in a fucking bug. True. So when he got out on this probation, he leased his very first apartment in Kingswood Village, which is in the southeast L.A. area. And mind you, his apartment is worth noting that he was only one one mile away from Mama. He, of course, needed to get a job to make ends meet and to seem like a normal part of society. Mm -hmm. So he ended up finding work as a truck driver for a local delivery company. He wanted to basically fly under the radar. Obviously, this is during a time that being gay was still taboo and not widely accepted other than in 
certain circles because he did not want to be known as a homosexual man. He dated a young lady, which he introduced to his friends at parties as his girlfriend. He would also make sure to go on these dates to public areas. He would go to skating rinks with her. And this was just all to keep appearances and to keep that image of him being a straight man. It was during one of these parties that he and his supposed girlfriend went to that he became acquainted with Vernon Butts. <laughs> I can't make this shit up. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, I can't. So it... I was going to react to the fact that he brought in a second person. That's just the first one. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. This guy is... He's fucking terrible, so... Oh, my gosh. Um, that took a really funny turn. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Butts. <laughs> so, Mr. Butts was no stranger to the legal system... One of the officers that was well acquainted with him was quoted saying that Butts was serving a life sentence on an installment plan. I don't know that I can handle you referring to him by his last name this whole time. I'm going to be like a 12-year-old boy just laughing. This is on purpose. I'm, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I, I'm not going to call him You made the conscious Absolutely. decision to call him by his last Absolutely. name. Oh my so, gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> Speaking of IQs, want to guess what Butts was? Tell me what Butts IQ was. 56. Oh, 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 sweet Butts. You are, you are not very smart, sir. He was a fan of... What is considered a normal IQ? Not 56. I don't know. Uh, I want to see normal. I want to see how dumb this guy is. How I will tell bots. you, but I mean, you're going to a normal IQ is 80 to 119. <laughs> Interesting. So 119, it puts you on the low end of genius or I'm sorry, 120 puts you on the low end of genius. Yeah. So Monty Russell comes in at low end of genius. This guy comes in low end of genius, but Mr. Mr. Butts. <laughs> wow. He, he's dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> yeah. All Even right. Rocks have a purpose, though. But. Hold on, I'm trying. Let me see. Oh, that's considered mentally inadequate. Fifty-five is considered mentally inadequate. <laughs> Mister Fifty-six. That's not even. They don't even consider it low intelligence. That that would make sense. He was illiterate. Okay. He was a fan of the occult, and was also a part-time magician. Of all things. Eventually confessed that he both admired and feared Bill all at the same time. Bill was a guy of big stature, big burly guy, carried himself well. We know from his IQ, he was a charmer. Probably very intimidating to somebody like right. Butts. Exactly. These two, Bill and Butts, gathered a <laughs> reputation around town for being the ones that would buy all the underage kids booze and then they were allowed slash invited into Bill's apartment to drink said booze. So this is where the assaults quickly escalated. Bill started preparing his instruments and starting preparing his Ford Econoline to be the fucking stranger danger mobile. He 
took everything out of the back. Oh, God. Nope. I'm so uncomfortable already. It was completely empty. He took the handles from inside the door so no one could get out from the side and rear door. Mm -hmm. And he had buckets, milk crates stocked with all his potential supplies, which included, but were not limited to, knives, household tools like screwdrivers, hammers, a tire iron, as well as ropes, binding, different binding things, electrical extension cords, and last but not least, ice picks. Oh, God. This is like the toy box killer on steroids. Oh, oh God. No, toy... There's no toy box is way worse. No, You're right. Yeah. Nothing's oh. worse than toy box yeah. killer. <sighs> Sorry. I'm s- uh, very uncomfortable. All right. Tits up. <laughs> the morning of May 28th, 1979, 13-year-old... 13-year-old... Thomas Glenn Lundgren left his house and was hitchhiking when Bill and Butts kidnapped him and put him in the van at around 10.15 a.m. that morning. That same day in the afternoon, the body of 13-year-old Thomas was found in a field wearing nothing but his t-shirt, socks, and shoes. They did perform an autopsy on Thomas's body. Mm-hmm. And it was found that he had multiple fractures to his skull, had been stabbed numerous times. He was emasculated. Another education moment, right? Both penis and testicles are taken off. Is that what they call it? Yep. Castration is just the testicles. Jesus. Okay. Mm. It was ruled that his cause of death, though, was from strangulation. Thomas's did genes. they ever determine if his injuries happened before or after he died? Not that I know of. <sighs> I know. It's interesting that he didn't have his jeans on, but he did have his shoes on. Based on what I know now, mm-hmm. it's very likely that it happened before, and he always left strangulation for last. <sighs> Thomas's jeans, underwear, and his genitals were found thrown around in the same field where his body was. They were all in close vicinity. Oh my gosh. Can you, I I can't imagine having a 13 year old boy. You don't even, you probably don't even recognize that he's missing yet. And he's found the very same day. Like I'm, I'm shaking and I don't shake. Like that's crazy. Like I can't Mm. comprehend that. No. (sighs) The poor, poor person who found him. So that was May 28th. There's a lot of, I'm telling you what happened, but he's not charged with them yet. Okay. At that point, he was a body that just been found. Okay. So in June of that, of that same year, Bill was arrested for sexual assault of a 17-year-old boy, which, of course, also, which <laughs> violated his probation conditions, of course. He was taken to the Orange County Jail, but on the date when his court date was set, There was a huge fuck up. There was a fucking clerical error that instead of him facing a judge to get sentencing, he was released. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Huge fuck up. Can you can you imagine being the person that committed that fuck up? No. And in hindsight, knowing what the fuck happened afterwards 
that you're the one that put this man back into society. That reminds me, I didn't mention this, but in the book I read by John Ressler, right. he wrote that he was giving a presentation about Monty Ressler and he had Monty's picture up as like he was giving a presentation and somebody walked by the door, came back and like looked at the picture and then came into the room and sat down and was like, by the time it ended, he said that he was like shaking and sweating and everything. So he talked to him afterwards and it was a psychiatrist that had cleared him and released him from the institution that just happened to be walking by. And he was like, I'm responsible because I cleared him or whatever. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, that's heavy. I know. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine being that no. guy? No. No. It's like the same I would need a idiot board that, yeah, that cleared Ed Kemper while he had a head in his car. Jesus. After being released... Due to the biggest error ever. Ever. Bill's friend, Mr. Frazier, I couldn't find a first name on him, picked him up from the county jail, and he recalls something spine-chilling. He, at the time, thought that it was Bill showing some type of remorse. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, it most definitely wasn't. Bill said, and I quote, no one's going to testify against me again. This will never happen to me again. Oh, no. Knowing now that he said that obviously means that he wasn't going to leave anyone alive to testify against him again, which is just fucking terrible. And his friend was like, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, this will never happen again, dude. Cool. Casual. No. This dude was prophesizing what he was going to be doing. Yeah. In the fall of 1979, and I'm sorry if I'm giving you whiplash, but this is just... Yeah. Is when the murdering spree began. Because at this point, we know he had at least killed one person. Right. Obviously tried assaulting other people, but... Has he dumped butts at this point? <laughs> nope. Okay. He actually invites butts to go with him and start driving up and down California highways looking for men that were hitchhiking. Oh, and this is where his nickname comes into play. Yep. Okay. I think he was dubbed the freeway killer because of where he left the bodies, which was also along freeways. Mm. Not so much for... Where, where he picked he, them up? Right. Okay. Because uh, sometimes they happen to be sex workers from within mm. the city, okay. people hitchhiking within the city, so it's more where he dumped, dumped the them. bodies. Okay. Um, it hadn't even been two months since Thomas Lundgren was brutally murdered before Bill and Butts abducted a 17-year-old named Mark Shelton on August 4th. Mark Shelton was on his way to a movie theater when it's presumed that Bill and Butts forcibly put him into the van. His body was discarded on the San Bernardino County Freeway. There was an autopsy performed on Thomas's body, and this revealed that he was sodomized, and Bill later revealed that Mark was violated with a pool cue, which was what sent him into a state of shock and proved fatal. What? This is what killed him. Oh, ouch. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm Sorry. Ugh. Right out the fucking gate, this guy. All of our male listeners at this point are off. Yeah. They're gone. See you later, guys. So the following day after Mark's murder, 
Bill came across a 17-year-old named Marcus Krabs that was hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway. Bill and Butts tied up Marcus with cords and drove to Bill's house, and this is where they beat him, sodomized him, and Marcus was stabbed a total of 77 times. After killing Marcus, they discarded his body the same night and his body was found the following morning. On August 27th, 1979, Bill and Butts forcibly abducted an, a 15-year-old boy named Donald Ray Hayden, and he was walking along the Santa Monica Boulevard. His body was found the very same morning by a, in the dumpster by a couple of construction workers. His body showed signs of strangulation. He was bludgeoned. He was sodomized. And... There's evidence that they also tried emasculating him, but they didn't succeed. And there was also attempts of slashing his throat, but that's, that's not what killed, not killed him. Killed him. Right. Okay. It's the strangulation. Ew. And on September 9th, 1979, David Lewis was last seen riding his bicycle towards a movie theater when he was abducted by Bill and Butts into the van. They repeatedly raped him and they garroted his very own t-shirt with a tire iron and that's how they strangled him. Wait, they did what with his t-shirt? They they did a garrot. Have you seen the pictures of John Benet Ramsey? Ah, uh, okay. So got they it. grabbed the tire iron yes. for leverage. Got it. Okay, yeah. got it. To explain it even further, or just to give you an image of what garroting is, the way I think of it is uh, like an infinity scarf. Yes. Putting that someone around someone's neck. And then using that to like twist it. Yes. Using, yeah. in this case, a tire iron, but a stick, a pole, whatever, yeah. to, to get some leverage on it, to give you handles, essentially, yeah. to make it tighter. His nude body was thrown over an embankment along Highway 101. And if you're keeping track of this, these are all... Bodies that are being dumped or disappearing from different counties, different highways, different arms of the highway. So they're not all, let's say, along, you know, I-5 yeah. or what have you. So, Which is why he has the freeway killer, not necessarily right. a specific freeway. Right. Yeah. Okay. Or highway, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So eight days after that, this guy's like not stopping, not taking breaks. No. He is just going. So eight days after that, on September 17th. 18-year-old Robert Christopher was abducted, and he was also on his way to work riding his bicycle. Same method of killing, raping, sodomizing, strangled. Mm -hmm. His body was found on September 27th, so 10 days after, along Interstate 10. This is when he takes the longest break from September 17th, and it's estimated that on or about November 1st, Bill and Butts abducted and murdered an unidentified young man. He still hasn't been identified. What is known is that by Bill's own confession that this man was strangled to death, he placed him in an ir irrigation ditch along State Route 99. Although Bill couldn't recall his name, what he could say about the victim is that he thinks he was around the age of 23, which is what detectives already had, mm -hmm. you know, 
simmered it down to that he was between the ages of 20 and 25. And he admitted to inserting an ice pick up the victim's nose as well as into his ears while he was alive. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, (sighs) yeah. I was like really bracing myself for where that ice pick was going to go. And somehow it's almost worse. Oh, oh, it's. Oh, (laughs) ouch. Sorry, guys. I'm just in here covering my eyes. (laughs) It literally it gives me pain. Is that how he, so he died from strangulation. Right. So like I said, although it's not said like, oh, you know, we know he liked to torture. Clearly. So for those victims that we don't know exactly what their cause of death is, I think it's safe to assume that their last breaths were taken being strangled. But they experienced everything leading up to it. Absolutely. Oh. This guy's a monster. Good night, Irene. Um, That just, ugh. I literally don't know how to wrap my head around that one. Yeah. It's a hard one. Sometime in December of 1979, Bill had the urge to find another victim. And this time he went on the prowl alone. And he abducted and strangled 17-year-old Frank Dennis. His body was found naked along the Ortega Highway. And they found that he had blunt force trauma to the head, the face, he had ligature marks on his wrists and wrists and ankles. This shows that he was acting alone because he was tying up the people and obviously they were tighter than the other ones because this one left a mark, he was acting alone. Ah, okay, so interesting. 10 days after that, 15-year-old John Frederick Kirkpatrick disappeared after he was last known to be walking to his friend's house. On New Year's Day, 1980, 16-year-old Michael McDonald was abducted and brutally killed and two days was later found along San Bernardino County Highway. About a month later, on February 3rd, 15-year-old Charles Miranda was abducted. This time, Bill was getting help from another co-conspirator, Gregory Miley. Charles Miranda was strangled again with a garrote using his very own t-shirt and tire iron. Unlike other victims, Miranda's body was dumped in an alleyway. It seemed very rushed and unorganized. That very same day, right after they had dumped Miranda's body, Bill turned around and told Miley, let's do another one. What? And so they set off on the prowl. He must not work. Well, he did the truck driving job. Oh, oh, yes. But he was using his own van for this. Okay. So it'd be interesting. I want to look up maybe are these weekends. A few hours after they abducted and killed and dumped Miranda's body, they abducted, raped, and killed 12-year-old James McCabe. Mm. He was the youngest known victim. Oh. He was... Hitchhiking his way to Disneyland. Oh, sweet baby. Oh, that makes my heart hurt. Oh, absolutely. That one was a hard one. 12 Mm. years old, 
going walk to, to the happiest to... place on earth. Yeah. Oh, it just gives me chills. Oh, uh, I don't even know how to come to terms with that. Yeah. On March 14th, 1980, a mm. uh, 19-year-old Ronald Caitlin was abducted by Bill and Butts again. He oh, was... Butts is back. Yeah. So he switched again. Okay. And he was sodomized, strangled, and also had wounds to his neck and an apparent ice pick injury to his right ear. Ouch. His nude body was found the next day near Highway 210 and 605. What is it with it? Are they trying to cause like brain damage or something? They never left anyone not dead. Well, no. So, so my question is like, okay, so we know Dahmer. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys, if you don't know this, Dahmer used to like drill holes mm-hmm. into people's heads and like pour acid in there and stuff like right. that, and try to make zombies out of them. Yeah, Ugh. he was like intentionally trying to inflict brain damage on them. Are they? Is that what they're trying to do here? Like with through the ear canal and through the nose, or? Well, obviously, their, re- their reasoning is, like, more torture-based than it is to try right. and preserve anything, because they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's what I'm wondering, is if they're actually trying to, like, reach the brain. Maybe. But I think it has more to do with torture. Yeah. Just plain torture, because they're just cynical, disgusting. Mm. There, There is no reason given or documented other than torture but that's definitely a possibility that they were trying to reach the brain or incapacitate them that way Uh, this is i'm honestly very uncomfortable yeah i bet yeah welcome to the show (laughs) so (laughs) i actually might be more uncomfortable about this than i was about the Dahmer ones really yeah i don't know why Although the whole, like, brain drilling thing and everything like that made me very, very yeah. uncomfortable. But... Yes. Uh, I don't like... want to justify what Dahmer was doing, but he was doing it almost in a humane way because he would knock them out first. So you know yeah, that maybe, maybe they weren't that. feeling the pain and it wasn't torturous. Because there was even the guy who eventually got away who had yeah. a fucking hole in his head. Yeah. But didn't even feel the pain probably because of shock. But that was because he was under influence of drugs but in this case it is for the pure fucking joy of torture and that's what's probably making it uncomfortable it's literally like Dahmer meets toy box it's a lot it's going so fast too there's so much so much I know I'm I'm like like, overloading you with information how is this happening so quickly and I don't even I can't even count how many victims we're at at this point yeah (laughs) so oh it's a lot for me to try and process this late at night I have to drive home by myself after this and we're not even done. Yeah, everyone needs to go find a happy thing to do after this. <laughs> uh, so on April 29th, 1980, at about 9.15, Bill was talking to Darren Lee, a 19-year-old, who was out in the parking lot of a supermarket collecting carts because that was his job. And they were, both him and Butts were talking to him about selling him some weed. And that's how they initially got him or lured him into the van with the ruse of selling him drugs. They, of course, bound him, and they sodomized him, strangled him, and at some point, they forced Darren to drink chloral hydrate, 
which left him with chemical burns on his mouth, chin, stomach, and there was also injuries from an ice pick through his right ear mm. that caused a fatal injury to his spinal cord. Oh my gosh. It just gets worse and worse. On June 2nd, Bill and another one of his friends, James Monroe, picked up an 18-year-old hitchhiker named Stephen J. Wells, who had originally agreed to have sex for money with them. He even agreed to being tied, which they did. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they strangled him yeah. with his own T-shirt, bludgeoned him, robbed him, and... I found different accounts of maybe what the robbing was, yeah. but I think it was around $6. <gasps> wow. Bill and Monroe placed Stephen's body in a cardboard box and dropped off his body at a closed gas station near Huntington Beach. His body was found the very next day. One of Bill's accomplices was Mr. Pugh. He was 17 at the time when he was arrested. Whoa. On May 29th, 1981, for charges on auto theft. While being arrested, Pugh told detectives that Bill had been the one talking about killing boys, and this is when Bill finally came into the radar. On June 11th, 1980, was being followed by the police and detectives. They followed him all around town this day as he tried talking to five different young men around town that were either standing on street corners or were just walking along bill finally settled on 15 year old harold harold seemingly willingly entered bill's van and then bill found a place to park in a vacant parking lot and then bill proceeded to perform oral sex on harold against his will and was finally caught red-handed in the act of trying to sodomize Harold when the police busted into his van. That's right. Fucking yes. finally. I feel so, such a sense of relief right now. Now, you can imagine the all of these cities, people freaking out. The carnage. And like we've been mentioning throughout this, it's so unique because you usually think of... Unfortunately, victims being women. And in this case, there was a killer on the loose that was killing young men. Yes. As young as 12, as old as 19, 20. And that demographic is usually not affected by serial killers. Different cities enforced curfews for men to be for young men or just kids in general, I'm Boys. sure, to be home yeah. by a certain time. And they were trying to take all the extra precautions. Parents were doing the same thing. They were no longer just letting their kids walk to school. They were dropping them off at the front door, picking them up at the same place. It's very interesting. Um, and this is when the amount of hitchhikers went down. <laughs> Fucking finally. They were all just completely terrified. So I'm going to go back a little bit now just to tell you a little bit more about, you know, the profiling that was happening that helped them confirm that they were performing surveillance on the right guy and they were on the right track even after Pew pointed a finger at him. Because even then, it'd be hard to say, yeah, you're the guy that's killed all these people unless there's either a confession or evidence. So okay. at the beginning of 1980, which is where he had this long 
spree, gay activist groups all banded and put together an award of $50,000 for any leads that would lead to his arrest. Once they found that it was Bill and they caught him red-handed, they, you know, performed a warrant on his house, a search warrant, and they found newspaper clippings from all these counties of, you know, this freeway killer when it was on unknown. Every time I mentioned one of these murders, I wanted to make sure that I said, you know, he used their own t-shirt. He dumped them almost all the time with everything, but if not, he would get rid of everything else. He mm-hmm. wouldn't keep any personal items. Ah. Again, because he's on the higher end of the mm-hmm. IQs. So his trophy, what I think was, were these newspaper clippings. Interesting. Instead of personal items. Right. One thing that I did to research for this is there is a movie mm-hmm. that was made by an independent movie filmmaker. Filmmaker. And it's it's called The Freeway Killer. It's not on Netflix. You have to buy that shit on YouTube for four bucks. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> $3.99. Research, guys. They didn't do any of his childhood in the movie. Okay. They That's focused... very important. Right. And... How do you even begin to talk about it without outlet? They just assumed that the audience knew what you were walking into. They did not touch on his childhood whatsoever. Holy smokes. Because from very young age to teenager graduating high school to his time in, in the Air Force, they never mentioned any of that. They went straight to him and Vernon Butts and him meeting Pew and some of the killings Mm -hmm. and the dumpings of the body. But one of the things that he said, Butts wanted to take a good or nice pair of boots from one of the victims. Ah. And he and Bill would say, no, you know the rules. Mm. We don't keep anything. You know the rules. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know the rules, but they're just really nice boots. He's like, yeah, we don't take shit from them. And then it's documented from butts that they would just go out for burgers afterwards. Casual. (sighs) How often they do stuff like that. They take naps. They Uh go get a drink. They just go on about their fucking day. It's literally, it goes to speak to just how broken and psychotic they really are yep one of the detectives in orange county he's the one started seeing a pattern in these killings but because the murders had been happening in so many different counties or the bodies were at least placed in so many different counties it was hard to get everyone on the same page and all the counties to work together so he had the foresight to start his very own task force with two people from his county two from another, two from another. And this is when they finally started connecting the dots and saying, oh, we've got a serial killer. Yeah. One of the things that he said pushed him towards doing this was that on a fellow co-worker's or detective's desk, he saw a manila envelope labeled gay dead boys. What? Because they weren't doing anything about these boys that were winding up dead alongside roads. So he didn't want them to go without justice. Yeah. So this is when he started that task force. It's interesting to me that the boys were labeled gay. Gay dead boys. Because they were all sodomized. Yeah. 
again, yes. the stigma of it, even right. though they're innocent victims and their sexual orientation shouldn't, shouldn't matter, matter in this situation. But because they were labeled this, if it had just been dead boys. Right. But because the gay was attached to it, it falls by the wayside. It almost did. That's crazy. It almost did. Think of how many he had already gotten away with. Yeah. And it weren't if it weren't for Pew pointing a finger at him, mm-hmm. he would have continued killing. And he said this. He was asked. Well, obviously. What if you didn't get caught? Like, you know, some people would say I would have stopped or, you know, whatever. You no, don't no, go no, from no, no, two no, no, a day no. to cold turkey. Right. Um, he initially confessed 26 murders in Orange County. The prosecutors there, they had a strong case for 10 at the hands of Bill. Okay. Because, again, he had different co-conspirators. Right. So they could point 10 on him and prosecute on those 10, which is a double-edged sword because I could see them if they wanted to try for all the ones that he confessed, you know, the off chance that he's off let go because of a technicality is not worth it. When the trial finally began, the prosecutors were asking for the death penalty, capital punishment, of course, mm-hmm. and his defense counsel was trying to argue that Bill was traumatized by his childhood Clearly. and shouldn't be held responsible for um, his actions due to his upbringing. Negative ghostwriter. Yeah. After closing arguments... The jury only deliberated for less than three hours before determining that Bill was indeed guilty. That's right. Three days later, the jury decided that Bill should be sentenced to death via gas chamber. Nice. Bill was then taken to the luxury accommodations at San Quentin. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We love when they go to San Quentin. It's like it's like a club. Uh Uh-huh. He's definitely part of that club. Uh, and he left his mark. So Bill spent a total of 14 years at San, Qu- San Quentin waiting for his turn at the gas chamber. While he was incarcerated, he took up painting as well as writing. And some of his paintings were even sold at auctions. Oh, this guy. Uh-huh. Okay. While he was incarcerated... There was also, there was another inmate who was killed via gas chamber and the courts decided that was a cruel and unusual punishment because it took that man about 14 minutes from initial, from, you know, the beginning of it to actually pass away. Court system, legal system, they were changing everything. Luckily, the prosecutors were making a case that Bill was quote, the poster boy for capital punishment via lethal injection. Mm. On February 3rd, 1996, Bill was finally taken into what used to be the gas chamber, has now turned into the lethal injection room. (laughs) His last meal included, it's fucking big, two large pizzas. Okay. Three pints of ice cream. And 18 cans of Coca-Cola. Sheesh. Just thought that was a thought I could put it away, but wow. He, of course, showed no remorse for any of the murders. And one of his last quotes was, I would advise that when a person has a thought of doing anything serious against the law, that before they did, 
they should go to a quiet place and think about it seriously. Deep. Right. Wow. The fucking <laughs> something balls of this guy to be like, oh, let me leave you with some advice. You should really think no, about it before yourself. you decide to kill somebody. Jesus. Really? Jesus. God. So let me tell you about the fate of Mr. Butts. Yes. What happens to Mr. Butts? He was arrested. Okay. Brought in for questioning. Great. Confessed to his participation in Perfect. different murders. Uh, and sometimes he said that he just watched because he liked to watch someone die. Sometimes he aided in the actual murdering and sodomizing, torturing. And on the very same day when he was taken to jail, he uh. did all of California's taxpayers a huge fucking favor. And killed himself. Yep. Oh, that's such a sad loss. What a what a sad, sad loss for such a dumb 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 person yeah so it's believed that there was upwards of about 45 actual killings that could be attributed to bill slash butts, butts <laughs> slash other conspirators yeah. so wow <sighs> that's that's a lot it's a crazy fucking case i don't really know there's how so to process many aspects all of that. to it there's a lot yeah it's just so brutal. Oh, so oh, I forgot to mention he was the first to die by lethal injection in California. Great. Yep. So Everyone, that was the mark he left. I've in. already said that I fall in the middle of the road on this, but then like oh, and stuff like this, this I, one brings me a lot of joy. Honestly. Give him a double. I don't care. This time, like fourteen minutes in the gas chamber. Good. All right. So that's uh, the case that's of William, Bill, George, Bonin, and. Mm, associates <laughs> and associates <laughs> fucking law firm god well if you guys are equally as uncomfortable by this as i am and everything that fatina had to endure like researching this now that it's seared into her brain um leave us a review <laughs> or a rating on itunes but also go over to our instagram and follow us on there at a stranger danger podcast and you can email us and tell us just how much this made you cringe at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com you can go find us and follow us on facebook go tell a friend to go follow us on facebook you can find us under stranger danger colon a true crime podcast and you can also find us and follow us on twitter at sd true crime pod all right well Let's go do some yoga or meditative something or another. I don't know. Good Lord Almighty. I don't know how to end this, so. Don't get into fucking vans with strangers. Ah, yeah. Yeah. He's the epitome of fucking stranger danger. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly. There's that. Here's your... (laughs) Fuck his advice. Well, actually, his advice is not bad, but... Follow ours. Don't get into vans with strangers. Bye. Thanks. Bye.